All right, in a moment, we're going to dig into the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open the Gospel of Mark. If you need a Bible, there's ones in the seat racks in front of you. The Gospel of Mark uh, is the second book in the New Testament. If you need help finding it, the page is listed in the bulletin, or you can find it in your table of contents. Uh, just a couple of things uh, before I uh, start preaching, we'll pray too, but I just want you to know, as a, just as a pastor, we've been really encouraged as a church. Um, we've had some busy weeks with many opportunities to serve people in different needs. We've had you know, some extra services, extra meetings. Uh, I know you, many of you invest a lot of hours just caring for one another in your small group ministries. And um, I just want to show I'm blessed as a pastor that you're laying down your lives for one another and for your Lord. Ministry is hard. And um, just... It's just a joy to be a part of a church that loves people and sacrifices for one another. So thank you. Um, with that, this is a reminder, we do have a busy week ahead. Um, this has historically been called Holy Week. And what makes this holy is we're remembering uh, the pinnacle of the ministry of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And, and so this Friday we will gather on what is called Good Friday. And it's good because the atonement was made. Jesus shed his blood, and so we'll gather at this facility, but we're also inviting uh, Northbrook Baptist. They'll be a part of the worship service, and so we'll meet at 6.30, or excuse me, 6 o'clock uh, this Friday, and so I encourage you to come. The service is usually right around an hour, and then we often have refreshments afterwards if you'd be willing to provide some of those refreshments for our Baptist friends. We all know that Baptists like to eat. Um, it's true, just ask them. Uh, secondly, uh, when we gather on Resurrection Sunday and Easter, uh, we're going to have a, a, a brunch at 9.15, and then the services starting a little later than normal will start at, the services at 10. And that, those, are, those, are just, those are just special, just to remember Christ's death and resurrection together. So I hope you can be with us for both, and uh, maybe invite someone. Um, so let me pray. Lord God, I love spring. Uh, we see that you are a God who has created a beautiful world, and just with the, the transition of seasons and the, the nature of uh, the sun and the, 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 birth, the new birth of plants each year, that you are a God of life. There is so much power. You're behind the thunderstorms. That you're, you're the God who uh, just superintends over, over every droplet of rain that falls from the sky. You're the God who has, we've been able to see new births of babies in the last few weeks, and we, we, we just marvel at a God who grants new life, and you're carrying little children in the womb as we speak. Lord, you're the God who is near the youngest, and yet, Lord, you walk with those uh, who have walked the earth the longest, and you're with those who are, are wisened with age, but also are nearing a point where their life will end, and you are, you are near them, and you're blessing them, and Pray that, pray especially, Lord, that they would just see joy and uh, just work well done, a life well lived. Maybe they have the opportunity to see kids and grandkids, Lord. We just, we just pray for young and we pray for old and everything in between, Lord, that we would know your presence and your goodness and your power. We pray that your word would be hope for us today, encouraging, and uh, pray that uh, somehow you would use me. We thank you in your grace, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, 
Some of you are aware of the fact that on Friday, April 26, 2019, Avengers Endgame is coming. How many people are excited about this movie? Okay, all the nerds just raised their hand in the room. <laughs> nerds unite. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the 22nd film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are 21 films that have been weaved together that culminate in this movie. So Thor and Captain America and Iron Man, they're just pieces of the tale that will culminate in Avengers Endgame. Now, if you saw the last one, you, 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 you know that everything looks bad. I mean, that's how that movie has to end, right? Because then, you know, why else would you pay $12 to see the last movie? But those of you who haven't seen it, let me just let you know that there is a villain named Thanos or Thanos, and he's killed a few superheroes, and now his next stop is Earth, where he is going to annihilate half the planets. Now, the reason why I love superhero movies is I think they play on real hopes and fears that are in the human soul, right? But there's a deficiency to these movies, is that this is a fictional world, and it has no real daily relevance to you or me. Let me tell you a true story. Uh, this story is set in Rome, Italy, around 67, 68 A.D., and at this time, there is a savage emperor named Nero who is ruling an empire that, says, that spreads as far as modern-day Spain to Iraq. And since around 64 AD, Emperor Nero has been on a murderous rampage killing Christians. He's throwing them in coliseums and wild beasts are taking them. It's under the reign of Emperor Nero that the Apostle Paul's head is taken from his body, and the Apostle Peter is crucified upside down. It's not been popular to be a Christian, but now it's deadly and dangerous to be a Christian. And in this real world, a man by the name of John Mark puts pen to paper, and he writes a story about a guy from Nazareth, a forgotten city in a nearly forgotten land of Israel. Now, tradition teaches us that John Mark was both an intimate follower of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And soon after the Apostle Peter takes his last breath, John Mark sits down and he documents all the testimony that Peter had been teaching and so in many ways, what we're reading in Mark is what the Apostle Paul heard and saw about Jesus of Nazareth. The Christians are suffering. They're watching loved ones die. Some are worshiping in secret, hidden places. And then they get this little book, and they read the first verse. And this is, what they, this is what they would read. The beginning 
of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. For the next two weeks, I'd like to preach one verse. And then we're going to move into the Gospel of Mark after Easter, taking in more than one verse at a time. (laughs) We're going to take a break from the book of Exodus so that you miss it, and then I'm going to come back to it in the fall, and we'll keep going in the book of Exodus. So I want to leave Exodus long enough that you're like, oh, you're going to finish that? Yeah, we'll be back. I want to go to Mark. And this week I want to look at this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, and next week we'll talk about Jesus as the Son of God. So, just a couple of key words we need to just get out of the way, and then we'll come back and answer three questions. But uh, it starts with the beginning of the good news. Now, if, if you were writing this today, you would probably have just said, the story starts with. Because he's really, this verse 1-1 one, one is actually just the beginning of the early account about John the Baptist, Jesus' predecessor. But the story begins, this, this a big story. But then he goes on and uses this word, good news. Good news, which is one Greek word, euangelion, which is where you get the word evangelical. But it, it, it means a, a significant pronouncement. When a new Caesar was born or a new Caesar began to reign, there would be a gospel or a good news proclaimed across the emperor, across the empire. Or if a massive military victory just occurred, they would send out the good news. So again, remember, your original audience are suffering, persecuted Christians, fearing no one more than Nero, and they hear, this is a message of good news. This is a heralding, this is a herald of a grand proclamation and declaration of a greater significance than the birth of any emperor who has ever come to earth. And then the word that we're going to talk about today is Messiah, which is sometimes put Christ, which in Hebrew is related to being an anointed one or a king, a long-awaited king. And this is good news. So three questions for today's sermon. What sort of good news are we talking about? What sort of Messiah is this Jesus? And then the all-important question, why does this matter? (laughs) So, what sort of good news? Well, I would say the biblical answer, and the answer you'd see also in the Gospel of Mark, is this. The good news is about God saving his people. That's the good news. God saving his people particularly through his king. If you just look down a little bit in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we'll come back to this in a few weeks, but when Jesus begins his ministry, he goes forth and he says, uh, Mark tells us, after John was put in prison, so John the Baptist is in prison, Jesus, he goes throughout Galilee, this region of Israel, and he proclaims the good news of God. The time has come, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So God's king, his kingdom, has arrived. This is something you need to believe, trust, respond to with repentance. This is good news. 
Again, you got these Christians in Rome, they're going to be hearing something like this. Huh. Maybe Nero doesn't get the last word. Maybe this doesn't end with him. Now to a Jewish person, though, they would hear this term good news or glad tidings, or, and they would immediately go, I've read something about this. And they would remember there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah lived over 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah 52, at a very dark time in Israel's history then, he makes this prophetic, gives this prophetic word about something that's going to happen. Verse 7, Isaiah 52. Isaiah writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So you have broken, beat up people in Isaiah. You have broken, beat up people in the time when Mark wrote his gospel. And the expression is there is hope for those in ruins those who are beat up, those who are in despair. Why? It says God is coming, which is very similar to what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is drawn near. What kind of king? The king is reigning and he's ruling. And what is he doing? It says he's comforting in verse 9. He's redeeming, which is this idea of being brought, bought out of slavery, bought out of oppression. And it says the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And then it says, all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God, which I love this idea. It was very tempting under, under the Old Testament, some of these people, they thought salvation was all about saving Israel, about our nation being mighty. And even Isaiah say, no, no, no. Who's going to see salvation? The ends of the earth. Every people group, every color of humanity, every ethnicity of humanity, they're going to see God's mighty salvation. God's going to bear his arm. I watched some NBA basketball last night because uh, it's playoffs. That's the only time I watch the NBA. <laughs> you know, but when they make great plays, like they do this now, they got to you know, bear their arm like, look at me, I just dunked over someone shorter than me. Um, you know, but there's the idea that God is going to display himself. He's going to reveal his glory and his might high in saving people. So what kind of good news is this? It's, a, it's news of salvation. It's, it's, it's God at work. But let me ask you, just think, what, what are humanity's greatest problems? What do we, or from whom or from what do we need to be saved? In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the problem is alien beings with supernatural powers who have murderous intent. That's the problem. And so what's the solution? 
alien beings with supernatural powers with good intent. (laughs) We need those people. But what is humanity's greatest problem? My son this week, he went to this uh, Hy-Vee, brought in 11,000 fifth graders to Hy-Vee Hall, and they fed them this nice lunch, and they had Patrick Mahomes from Kansas City Chief come and inspire them, and cheerleaders from the Vikings, and it sounded really good. But I asked, what was it about? It's like, well, it was about being a better person. I said, great. I said, Samuel, do you want to be a better person now? He's like, eh. (laughs) Right? Like, the idea is, like, does a motivational speaker in a, a, a powerful event deal with what's really going on in our lives? Do you know why there's always new New York Times best-selling self-help books? Because the last ones didn't work. (laughs) Right? Because they don't go to the heart of the problem. When we talk about good news and God saving, we're going to, it's because Jesus comes to save us from the real problem. And the problem is us. And sin, and selfishness, and cruelty. I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn who had spent uh, many years in the gulag of Russia. You know, and he said, uh, the problem in the universe cuts right through my own heart. He didn't point at the Soviets, he pointed at himself. Because that's the problem. It's out of sin that selfishness comes forth. It's out of sin that there's relational disorder. It's because of sin there's illness and death in the world. And so if there's going to be any good news, it has to be God saving us from sin. And that is where Jesus of Nazareth comes in, and I'll get to him in just a second. But let me just talk to those in the room today that might not be Christians. You're searching. Maybe you're an agnostic, an atheist, Hindu, a Muslim, and someone brought you here today, or you wandered in here today because you're seeking. First, I just want to encourage, just say, wow, that is humility. That is courage to come to a place full of people who uh, are weird. <laughs> the guy preaching to you is weird. I mean, I like, I like superhero movies. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. Um, but I was just reading this past week uh, a, a book by a political scientist. He's in his early 70s now. His name's Charles Murray. And he married, uh, second marriage, he married an, a, a woman in 2014, and he married a Christian woman. And it's, it's getting under his skin. And so I appreciated what he wrote about this. He says, in light of hanging, now being married to this Christian woman and seeing God at work in her life, he, his words, I quote, I still describe myself as an agnostic, but I'm shakier in my unbelief. I'm shakier in my unbelief. And he goes on to encourage those like him to take religion seriously and to do their homework before rejecting it out of hand. And so if you're here, I just want to, you're doing this. I encourage you to stay as we study the Gospel of Mark, watching this Jesus of Nazareth say and do things that have changed the course of history. As far as I know, he is the only person who went around telling people he was God and got a whole lot of people to believe him. 
even his brother and his mom. If anybody who is going to deny my divinity, it's those two people. <laughs> but he convinced many people. And he still convinces people. But let's talk about what sort of Messiah he, this Jesus is. Some of this is a little bit of a spoiler for the Gospel of Mark. Maybe, maybe it should, I, I want it to be more like a trailer than a spoiler. Jesus begins his life in the middle of nowhere. Not Rome, not Jerusalem, not Babylon. By early adulthood, however, he receives the attention of Israel and a few surrounding provinces. Jesus heals illnesses. Jesus casts out demons. Even his um, enemies don't deny that he healed people and cast out demons. They just suggest that he did it through dubious means. He proclaims the forgiveness of of sins to the most wicked of his society. He welcomes the most outcasts of his society into friendship and calls them even family. Jesus feeds thousands with food with the equivalent of a single happy meal. He even raises a few people from a short-term physical death. Now, do you realize what he's doing in those early movements in the Gospel of Mark? He is demonstrating that he can face the most serious problems, right? Sin, illness, death. Who has ever faced that? Especially consistently. I actually caught this reading through the Gospel of Mark again last night. When he eventually sends out his apostles to do similar ministry, it says, they healed many and cast demons out of many. Whenever Jesus heals, it's all. <laughs> right? He healed all the sick of that city. Sometimes it said he only did a few because of their lack of faith, but it wasn't because he tried and failed, but there's a sense in which the apostles tried and it didn't always work. In fact, one time they said, we tried, we can't do it. Jesus said, come here, come here. Now this gives you some background to the setup that's at a very climactic point in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would turn with me to chapter 8. He's traveling. He has a band of disciples with him. They're watching what he's doing. They're listening to what he's saying. And we come to verse 27 in the middle of chapter 8. And it says in verse 27, Now Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? Now, that's, there had to have been a lot of talk about this guy. <laughs> but he's like, what's, what's the word on the streets? What are people saying? What are you hearing about me? In verse 28, they, they reply, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist, like back from the dead. Others say Elijah, greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And still others, one of, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you, who do you say that I am? What about you? Who do you say that I am? At one level, I think Jesus asks us that question every day. What about you? And we will live out of our beliefs. 
Right? So what, what we believe, how we answer that question, if we're honest, should shape the rest of our day and every hour we live. So he asked his disciples, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And there was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, like TV show. And then it says, verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Peter is watching Jesus and he's listening to Jesus and he's hearing different people's opinion on Jesus. But Peter says, no, 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 you're the Messiah. You're you're the one that Isaiah 52 was talking about. You're, you're bringing deliverance to Israel. You're healing. You're, you're raising the dead. You're, you're healing the sick. You're the prophet that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. You're speaking things like no one has ever said before. You're him. But it's, Peter, it's Jesus' response to Peter that's pretty confusing. First he says, don't tell anybody. But we know why he says it, because of what the next verse says. He doesn't want anybody to know about him, because they don't really know about him. You might have got my title right, but you don't understand why I'm here. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And afterward, three days later, he's going to rise again. Jesus is letting them know, I am Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah you are expecting. Or you might put it this way, I'm not the Messiah that you want, but I'm the Messiah that you need. And this Messiah has to go to God's holy city, and be rejected by God's holy people. And he must be killed. He must die. Then he'll rise again. Jesus did come to save, but salvation comes at a great cost. The death of the Messiah. Why? Why? And it goes back to this issue. What is our problem? It's sin, it's death, it's hell, it's judgment. And God can't save us, or there is no good news about God saving us if he doesn't save us from those things. And so Messiah says, I'll take it. I'm going to take the worst enemies that you face every single day. That's why I'm here. Now, he does have that little tagline at the end. And by the way, I'm going to win. I'm rising three days later. Why? I think we sing it in a song. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. He's the perfect, innocent, powerful, faithful son of God. He ain't staying dead. But he still had to die. For your sin. For my sin. The Bible says that we're guilty of sin. And some people don't like that, like, oh, man, why? God just is on an ego trip. But the issue, the, the image is God has d- 
dignity and honor. And our sin is against his dignity. I can't remember if I, explained, I told this to you, but I was talking to a young man who's still searching, trying to decide if he wants to give his life to Christ. And he's struggling with, I just don't know if my sin is, is bad enough that Jesus needed to die for me. And it's a great, I think we've all been there. And I just asked him, I said, okay, tell me what's worse. I mean, Molly's holding a little baby, precious. But I asked him this question. Is it worse to punch a baby one time or ten times? It's, ten is worse. It's much, much worse. But one punch is horrific. And we should hold them to the full extent of the law. Why? Because that baby has dignity. Hallelujah, she said. <laughs> right? The baby has dignity. The God who made the billions of babies has even more dignity. The God who holds the cosmos together and makes the rain fall and has the rivers go the way they do. And, is, and everything he does is good. He has dignity. And so our one punch to his face has grave consequences. Often our problem is not because we think our sin is uh, too big or too small. So we don't see the greatness of God. If we get an image of the holiness and the greatness of God, we would see that one sin, hell is kind. This is how glorious he is. And when we sin, we deserve to die and we deserve to be punished. And this is what makes the cross so beautiful. This is why the cross is good news. This is why we call the Friday, where the most noble, perfect person who ever lived died, we call it Good Friday is because he gave his life for us. His atonement was good. It was sufficient. It was necessary. When we hate our sin as we should, we will revel in Jesus, the Messiah, as our Savior. I just want to ask, has this message become too familiar to you? Have you almost gotten used to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, the crucified Savior, because we forget how uncommon this really is. I had wonderful flights to Honduras. I flew dental. dental. <laughs> <laughs> I flew Delta the whole way. And they were great. They were great flights. And um, I always sat just a few rows back from first class. It's kind of, you know, two, three, four, five rows kind of in there. Every flight for some reason. Uh, um, but I chuckled after the flight started. Because a flight attendant came back and, and pulled this screen out. <laughs> this see-through screen between the first class and the rest of us. And I'm just chuckling, because here's the thing. My seat was comfortable. That extra three inches wasn't going to make me or break me. Um, I was working, so I didn't need the free alcohol. But I just chuckled. I chuckled because Delta knows something. They know that this is effective. I want to sit there. I'm going to be on that side of the screen. That's where I want. I'm, I'm on this side. I feel less than I want to be on that side. Humans want, humans desire, humans demand. They want to increase. They want to get more power. They want to get more position. They want to get upgraded to first class. But then there's Jesus. <laughs> He's in heaven, 
That's the first class of first class. But he comes through the screen to the back. And it turns out the back like has been severed and we are all crashing to the ground and he jumps without a parachute to save us. He doesn't stay safely in first class. He comes to save. And that's the good news. It's the good news. There's playoff games today, and some of you are going to be really excited about who wins or loses, and you're going to be tempted tomorrow morning to go to work to say, guess what, my team won. And you're going to feel like it's good news. You know what? No one's going to remember these playoff games like three weeks from now. Because it's not that good of news. It's tolerable news at best. But we have news that's really good. Like it changes people's lives. It gives them hope. It gives them hope of forgiveness. There is no better thing to talk about tomorrow morning at the water cooler. It's really good. Jesus' death was not the end, right? That's the thing that's fun about Good Friday. It's a comma, not a period. It's a pause. They call it Holy Saturday because it's a, a day of waiting. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's like it's building in anticipation and joy. It's not somber. It's celebratory. It's like, it's like Christmas Eve for the real families that don't, let you open, that don't let you open Christmas presents until Christmas Day. And you feel the anticipation all day because something's going to open. Well, that's Holy Saturday because the grave opens. And he walks out triumphant over sin and death and hell. He's vindicated. His suffering had purpose. His death purchased us, paid a debt And this is good news. To be heralded near and far. And by the the way, just think about this. It has been heralded near and far. That's why we in North America hear it today. There have been generations of faithful people who took this gospel that began in Jerusalem, spread through the region of Judea, even spilled into Samaria. Then it moved up into Europe and Africa and across Europe and some weird guy named St. Patrick wanders into Ireland and all these other places, and some people, they took it across a gigantic ocean in wooden boats so that people could hear this good news. And it got to you. Maybe just as an application point, you sit down this week and you, you know, If they're still alive, write a letter to the person who told you the good news or the five people and just say, thank you for telling me this news. If they've passed away, turn it into a prayer. Write a letter to God. Thank you for all these people. But who could you tell the good news to tomorrow? I want to go back to this question. I've been answering it a little bit, but why does this matter? And I want you to remember to go back to the original hearers of Mark's account, those first century persecuted Christians, the ones who had watched their fellow Christians die in Colosseums, some who maybe have been participating in the burial of Peter and Paul, those who had lost children, those who had lost parents, these ones whose suffering was their daily lot. When they read Mark 1 1, it's like it, it broke into their fear. And Mark is saying, I have good news about the Messiah who faced suffering and death to save you. Dear brother in Christ, dear sister in Christ, cheer up. 
Your suffering and your death is not the end of the story either. Your greatest problem was sin and guilt and judgment, and Jesus took all of that. You can face these little problems of Nero and torture and death. And that's how they read it. So if you are suffering as a Christian today, if you're facing persecution, if you're wrestling with doubts, maybe you've lost a job or maybe prominence in your job for being a Christian, maybe you've lost friends uh, for speaking the name of Jesus, or maybe you're just facing the suffering that's brought on by the evils of this world and the enemy who wants to bring us down. That is, those of you who have a keen sense to the, the type of people who originally heard this. I'm going to share with you a verse from another passage, or another gospel. Chapter 16, verse 33 of John says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That is, your sufferings are not in vain. Your service is not in vain. I know many of you have given, at this point in your life, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to see the name of Jesus go around the globe and to care for those in poverty and to support missionaries and to support local churches. Those sacrifices are not in vain. Those of you who have lost friends that have experienced pain and loss by naming Jesus, it's not in vain. The tide may turn, but it's likely this country's not going to get better in the sense of what some people might define as better. Take heart. Jesus is Lord. He's king. We as Christians do not need to like attempt to get power and control of government. We worship a Jesus who did the exact opposite. Right? We don't have to win. We can lose. We can turn the other cheek. We can go the other mile. And none of those things are in vain. And so when we live like our Savior in service and sacrifice and losing, he gets much honor. If Nero comes to power, some of you think Nero already is in power. Um, Jesus is on the throne, right? And so we press on in faith, no matter what we suffer. So suffering Christian, take heart. And then I also want to talk to the religious seeker in the room that you've come to the point where you're like, you feel like you're ready. You are, you are amazed by this Jesus. He's coming alive to you. You realize he really isn't dead. <laughs> he really is reigning. And you see the need for your sins to be forgiven. You know that you have guilt. And you, had, up to this point, had no place to take it. I just encourage you, give it to Jesus today. That's the good news that Jesus rose from the dead and is reigning. He is available today to forgive any who come to him. And some of you are like, well, how does it work? There's no tricks. Just ask. Go, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Take my life. Forgive my sins. I'm going to walk with you. I surrender my life to you. None of those words are magical. It's your heart. Just give your life to Jesus. And if that happens, tell me today. Tell someone around the room. We'll have a prayer station in the back for men afterwards and women in the front. Go tell them. I'm going to start following Jesus. I've given my life to him. We'd love to get you baptized so you can tell the world that this has happened. This, we have good news to share. 
We have good news to believe. One last story, then we'll take the Lord's Supper. So on the first night of one of our trainings, there was a, a, a guy there named Marcus. I knew nothing about Marcus other than every time he talked, he bubbled up with joy for the Jesus that he knew. On the first night, we were just talking about grace, and he said, he like, this is all through an interpreter, but the translator said, you know, says to me, she's whispering in my ear, oh, Marcos is saying that she's, he's so thankful for the blood of Jesus, he's totally changed his life, you know, and the guy's just, like, his countenance is radiating. I'm like, wow, this is great. And Marcos is all like this. Well, I didn't even hear anything about Marcos until after the, the, the training was done, and my co-trainer, the leader trainer, says, Remember Marcus? I was like, yeah, I remember Marcus. He's a doctor. I go, oh. And in his late 50s, he said, "Mm, you know, I have enough money. And so Marcus decided that he wanted to tell the good news to as many people who has led him. So he started calling schools. And he said, hey, I'm a doctor, and I'll come and do medical examinations on all of your students if you'll let me preach about Jesus for one hour. That's what Marcus does every day now. That's his life. And he loves it. He's telling the good news and he's helping kids. I don't know what it'll look like in your life, but I just love this idea that if we are just amazed at this Jesus, reveling in this good news about God saving his people, we'll start looking at how do I turn my life so I can do something like that? I don't even think we have a single doctor in the room, so it won't be that. But what will it? To use every means that we have to make this good news known. And may we just be a good newsing people. Let's chatter about the good news. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for time this morning, just looking a little bit in the Gospel of Mark. I'm excited to dig into this beautiful testimony that you've given to God's people, especially people who have in the midst of persecution and suffering. And some of my brothers and sisters are in that right now. It's hard, they have hard days. And they might wonder, is it time to punch out? Is it time to give up? And I just pray that they would be reminded today that the story is just beginning, that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is good news. This is good news. Those who are here and they're in in the religious seeking mode, they're doing their homework, I just thank you for them and pray that you would bless their search and uh, that this would be a safe place for them to, to continue that search. Uh, And I pray for those who are ready to walk with God, that they would start today, knowing that God is faithful. And we thank you uh, that Jesus has demonstrated that faithfulness to the point of death, and then triumphing over death in his resurrection. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.